to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Yeah! Hi, everybody. Welcome to Second in Command of Veep Rewatch. I'm Tim Simons. I played Jonah Ryan. I'm Matt Walsh. I played Mike McClintock. And we are going to look at this show from the lowest rung of a very high ladder. On uh, this episode, we'll be talking about uh, episode number four, Chum. Uh, that was written by Sean Gray, Will Smith, and Armando Iannucci, directed by Armando Iannucci, and it began filming October 26th, 2011. Uh, what you heard on the intro was Howard Dean at the Valier Ballroom in West Des Moines, Iowa, uh, during uh, his presidential campaign. And that scream, he was number one in every single poll, and that scream on January 19th, 2004, torpedoed his campaign it was completely done after he screamed uh so that is what you were mm-hmm. listening to on the way in back when a scream could uh completely derail your campaign uh really excited it mirrors, it mirrors the show veep in that a lot of small stakes things drove the plot in the early seasons that's true like that is ultimately i remember i had never heard it uh, up until we started filming the show, I knew about it, but I had never actually heard it. I was not like, I wasn't like watching a lot of news at the time. I was like a young drunk in Chicago and I like just didn't care and I wasn't paying attention. So I understood that it happened. But when I heard it, I was like, that's it. Like, that's what killed that guy's campaign. That is like mm-hmm. the most low stakes thing that has ever happened that actually killed somebody's campaign. Anyway, I'm really excited about today's episode because we have one of my favorite care, one of my favorite actors from the show who played Sidney Purcell. Uh, his name is Pete Gross. I constantly fuck up his last name. I've been fucking it up for over 10 years now. I pronounce... You will again. I, I believe you will again. I, I lean hard into the T of his last name. There is no T. There isn't? Yeah, there is. Oh, there is. There is. You're right. I'm sorry. There is. See, you're doing it Phonetically. right. Phonetically, you, there's no T. In your mind, you just take the T out, and so you always pronounce it correctly. And in my mind, I put it in there, and I'm always tripping up on it. Well, I learn phonetically, and you learn visually. I think is what we're learning. That's true. We need to have like a. We need to have a. What, what would that call like a like a learning, an auditory and visual learning expert on the show to talk to us about our yeah, learning. You could call them that. I think that's good. Or just a learning expert. Yeah, just like a learning expert of how people learn. We'll have one of those on the show. We're really excited to have uh, Pete Gross on. Um, he's incredibly funny uh, and a wonderful guy, despite uh, how, despite accessing whatever he has to access of himself to play Sidney Purcell. Yes. Yeah. You want to bring him on? Yeah, come on, Pete. We're, we're really happy to have uh, Pete Gross with us Pete Gr- I've always put the T in Pete it gross. Pete you gross you always say gross Pete right? gross I, I put the T in it since I've known you and I feel embarrassed yeah no one's ever done that it's like a like an Ellis Island move but it doesn't make it any better it makes it worse <laughs> I, <laughs> not Americanizing it at all <laughs> I meant to tell you it's not gross before we got on air but that's my bad too and I really feel like I should have like nobody was talking I feel like Walshy, I probably should have let you do the intro, but nobody was talking, and I just had to fill the silence. Uh, that's what radio and podcasts are. Just keep talking and don't let yeah. any dead air dead air happen. Yeah, but- you made the first spelling error in an audio <laughs> only uh, <laughs> medium. 
I wish we could track when people click off because that might click, you know, that might send some people away. I just want to say I admire Pete because he has such a fascinating career. He's a writer, performer, and I feel like every time I'm like listening to NPR, you're doing some like fun show on NPR. So yeah, uh, that's, I that's do sincerely true. mean that you have a very interesting, fun career. So thank you. I just want, I I just want to throw well. that out there. And okay. also, you embodied. Tim put it well. We we watched Sidney Purcell's first appearance in, I believe, episode two of season one, and you were pitch perfect from like line one. Sidney Purcell. Oh, thank you. Is the oil lobbyist who's a real bastard and. Like many characters, it's just a filthy, foul mouth motherfucker who doesn't pull any punches. And as written, you had to deliver that right away. And it was really fun to see you at uh, Rapey Reeves' funeral. The, the con- <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was con- very fun. The congressman who died, uh, yeah, at the pool center. Yeah, that was the first uh, thing I did. I remember being very excited to audition, but also intimidated because I think that I think it was maybe just the first audition or maybe it was, I assume it was a callback, but Julia was in the callback and it was like, do the scene with her. And if, you know, it was just improvise, like here's what's going on and then go past, like improvise past the scene, like do it and then put it down and then just have a conversation with her. And I, I think I just found myself, it's good that we did the scene first because it kind of warmed up, but I found myself being like a real asshole to this you know, person that I'd never met before, but I was idolizing her from, from afar. And I think I, I think I threatened like subtly, like almost mob style her with like physical violence. It was like, it would be a, it would be a shame if, you know, like it was one of those things. And I, I think she was like, I think she looked at Armando and was like, oh, interesting. I'm actually going to, yeah. In in rewatching it, Pete, I'm actually going to go a step further than what Walsh said because, like, you know, when because when you show up for the first time, you you personally are pitch perfect from the first moment. But I think that you, yeah, that's very nice. I am going to go a one step further, and I'm going to say that you managed to then, and you managed to find where we all should have been a lot sooner which was completely <laughs> nihilistic. Like I almost feel like we were naive. And, and I was thinking about this today that an oil man, like there is no redeeming quality to that. And I think you keyed in, maybe no. uh, this is my guess from outside that you keyed into that. Like there is nothing redeeming about this person right off. This is just move forward, get what I want. It doesn't matter if everything burns. And we yeah, were still looking sharky. for redeeming qualities but you were like right from right. the beginning, you were just like, no, not at all. I think that that's, I mean, I don't know how you guys were approaching it, but it makes sense that you would be like, oh, well, what is it about this like guy who's just like, seems like he's such a prick and only there to bother people, um, you know, or like he's just like, he, he's so ineffectual and terrible at his job, but you have to, you have to make like, you have to find something good about them. So people are like, oh, I like Jonah, yeah. you know? Nobody really likes Joan. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, that was not like, that's not a, um, that's not the, the, um, the, it's not on the table for Sydney Purcell. Um, yeah, it was definitely, it was a little bit easier maybe to just be like a complete asshole, like just right off the bat. Um, but it was so fun. It was so fun. 
there is a line from your the next episode, which is one of uh, which is one of my favorites in the, I think the entire show, top to bottom. And you have a fair amount of my favorite ones, top to bottom. But it's when you're talking about like you have this whole lie about how you have kids, like you know I want a bright future <laughs> yeah. for my kids, and then as yeah, soon as yeah. Selena walks away, you say I don't have kids. I've got a niece, but I fucking hate her. And it's so clear <laughs> that you actually do hate her. <laughs> I just. Like it's that darkness, it's that nihilism yeah. that it feels like you had from the first moment that was so welcome in that world from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, I didn't make that up or anything. We certainly improvised a, a fair bit, but that was definitely that was definitely in the the script. I wonder. I never asked those guys because I know they there was a lot of uh, a lot of people were based on archetypes or spe- or sometimes specific people. But I, I I think maybe Sydney was just like a conglomeration of all the all the evil shit that oozes around that town you know um, he was like a yeah and specific person yeah and he like you said he came out guns blazing he was like like we all were sort of compromised by the end of the run of the show and we were all sort of just beaten down and doing whatever we could and saying whatever we had to to survive and sydney was one yeah. of those characters who was shocking because he was in contrast to sort of other people who hadn't gotten there yet and i mm-hmm. uh, it was pretty fun Obviously. Well, it's funny. Well, I bet back at all, like when you first see back at all, he's probably not as intense and then just got way more, way more intense. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think he was probably like 70% or 60% filthy. And by the end he was like 90% filthy mm-hmm. would be my guess. But uh yeah, I remember Pete, I don't know if you remember this. I, you came in and actually rehearsed with us at HBO headquarters in LA. Yes, I did. And I remember, I, I, don't oh. know if, I don't know if this made it into the final cut or what scene this was from, but there was a moment where you were talking about how impatient you were uh, to Amy. And I think it was during the, like, uh, the, you know, who are you putting on? Like, don't say, don't say Chuck Burnham. Don't say Chuck Burnham. Right. I think it was in that scene where there was something about your patience was as thin as a butterfly's ball bag. Do you remember that? <laughs> I, said that? Oh my I don't God. think that made it in there, but that's. <laughs> but I just again, like this is just going to be me being just complimentary to Pete Gross, the into, not but not Thank complimentary you. in that I remember your name, which I don't, um, or I don't know how to correctly pronounce it, but complimentary in that I remember you selling the butterflies ball bag line so well. <laughs> Always really impressed with that. I carried it with me. Thank you. Maybe I'll read the uh, summary for the episode. What do you think of that, guys? Yeah, start there. That's a good sure. idea. This episode is episode four called Chung, played by Randall Park, who's introducing that character. And the episode synopsis is Dan and Amy attend a book launch for Governor Danny Chung, a charismatic Asian-American war hero who Selena worries could be a political threat. Following an interview on Meet the Press, a slip of the tongue by Selena is misconstrued as a racist dig at one of her political rivals. The VP and her team go into recovery mode, trying to take the spotlight off Selena by visiting the sick and injured at a local hospital. I just want to throw this out right at the beginning that uh, Randall Park, who plays Danny Chung, before we even get into it, we had like a recurring bit where we would somehow all end up getting cast in the same things. Like we ended up on the same sets in sort of parts large or small, not by our doing, but it all started 
the week that I got cast on the show, and I sent this to Arvin earlier. Arvin, do you have this queued up? Danny, uh, this, Randall Park and I were in an ad. We're in a commercial for HBO Go. And HBO Go was like a novel HBO thing. Do you remember this? Really? It was like the launch of the what is now HBO Max. But uh, I'm going to have Arvin throw it up. Uh, 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 it's better when it's closer. It's better when it's closer to the center. Uh, hear that? Hear that? Hear, hear that? Uh, hear how it changes? Hear how it changes? Uh... I mean, so like this was, and I remember like on, on set that day, I mean, this was, I can't remember what day we shot, but I remember going up to Randall and being like, Hey man, have you ever tested for a show before? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, tell me everything that you know about it because I don't know anything about it. And it's happening in like a day and a half. Wow. And then we, and then, so then, yeah, like a, like a couple months later, we were doing this together and it just kind of happened. So Randall and I, uh, Randall is a wonderful guy. Um, well, my only humble brag with Randall is he used to live in Valley village, which was my old neighborhood in, in, uh, (laughs) it's not as cool as doing a commercial. That's a great story. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Does that count as a story? I think edit out Tim's story. I think definitely <laughs> I think that might be town. Just I don't want to tell you how to do your show, but it's like maybe. Please, we need all the help. This is early days, so we're still <laughs> we're still working the kinks out. So I'll take it. Hey Walsh, um, the holidays are right around the corner. Did you know that? We're it's, here. It's daunting. Yeah. So if you want help prepping for your parties and family get-togethers, all while supporting a more sustainable local food system, check out Imperfect Foods. You know what's good about Imperfect Foods? It's a grocery delivery service that offers an entire line of sustainable groceries that taste delicious and reduce waste. Make a difference in the food system. Embrace the natural imperfections and get your groceries delivered weekly. Plus, you can say goodbye to packaging guilt. Imperfect Foods is the only national grocery delivery company that makes it easy to return your packaging after every order. I actually really do love that because I always feel like a piece of garbage when I have to throw out. I know. I have to like recycle so many Amazon boxes. Yeah, the greenness is awesome. And I actually do kind of love this because my little brother is like a a conservationist kind of guy and he was a freegan for a while. He would like eat food that he found in dumpsters that was still safe. I wouldn't live that far. No, but but that's the thing. This is like me doing a a thing. This is me being a freegan without having to be a freegan. Because like the shiny polished apple doesn't necessarily taste better than the apple with a bump on it. Not at all. Yeah. Never. Well, right now Imperfect Foods is offering listeners 20% off their first four orders. When you go to imperfectfoods.com, use the promo code VEEP, 20% off your first four. That's an $80 value. Imperfectfoods.com offer code VEEP. Imperfectfoods.com and use promo code VEEP. CBD isn't about what you feel, it's about what you don't feel. Stress, anxiety, pain. Feels is a premium CBD that will help you keep your head clear and feel your best. It's hassle free, delivered directly to your door. Yeah, CBD naturally reduces stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. There's no hangover or addiction. And you know, when Mor- Morgan had her knee surgery, mm-hmm. her orthopedic surgeon uh, made sure she did some CBD for her recovery. And it helped? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. One time somebody just was like, here, try this, and like put it under my tongue, and I had no idea what it was, but I ended up feeling better later. 
That's interesting. I don't know. Not I a good like, practice. Don't let people just drop things in your mouth. Don't let people just drop it. But this comes to your house and you'll use it at your house. You'll do it. So. Well, speaking of safe dosage, Tim, Feels offers a CBD hotline that's free. It'll guide your personal experience so that you find your perfect dose. The Feels customer service team is dedicated to making sure you get the best use of your CBD. So start feeling better with Feels. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash beep and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash beep to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash beep. Become a member, get 50% off your order. So the show starts out, we haven't even gotten to the first scene. This is amazing. Again, it's early days, Pete. We're, we're figuring it out. We're yeah. feeling it out. Uh, so the first scene is Dan and Amy uh, spending their Friday lunch going to a book signing for Governor Danny Chung. Um, and the first thing that happens is, oh, she mentions, and this is going to come up in a second, or Dan mentions that, um, that the, why are they doing that? And it's because it's better than, uh, it's better than watching uh, Gary drip noodle juice down his chin, but it's clear as well that uh, that he uh, that Danny Chung has political capital that is drawing people there, including the release of this new book. What's the book called, Walshie? Do you remember? Uh, I don't remember. Never. It's like Born to Serve or something oh. like that. It has something yeah. to do with Good Fight. Marvin comes so. in hot to redeem the himself. The Good Fight. <laughs> That's what it is. The good fight. Is it the good fight? Oh my God. So became a TV show based yeah. on the book, the fictional book written by Danny Chung. By Danny Chung. Um, and he, I, uh, Randall Park actually got story for credit on, uh, like, he's like a co creator of The Good Fight just because of that. They just, there was like a. <laughs> because his character uh, wrote the book. You should see his house. I mean, like, whatever. I don't know how it broke down legally, but they knew that they had to give Randall Park money for that moment. He gets um, points on the good fight because his character wrote a <laughs> fake book. There is a it's moment amazing. in here that this goes back to like the uh, the Hollywood for ugly people thing, which seems like a terrible people a, a terrible thing to say about Washington that Washington seems to have embraced, but it does seem like Los Angeles is just saying you're all very ugly. But there's this moment right. where where Dan walks in and Abe, right before they walk in, she says, do you know him? And he's like, not really. And then immediately they're both like, hey, like big arms open yeah. wide. Like, it's so great to see you. Like really jocular patting each other on the arm. That does remind me of like a lot of like Los Angeles conversations that I have where everybody pretends to be very yeah. close. I have a quick sidebar for you too. So uh, yeah. we've uncovered some of the first season scripts Guess how long the script Ooh. was for this episode? Because Veep is notoriously, we had long scripts. Any guesses? We're just going to guess a number and see how close. 63 Well, pages. it's probably for Tim. Good guess. I'm going to say, I feel like we didn't get into the 60s until, like, unless it was real fucked up. So I'm going to say, like, 55. 76. I'm just going to tell you, 76 pages. 76 pages? 76 pages? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of alts in here, and there's some spaces. And one yeah. of the alts... I'll just give you an alt when, because Danny Chung leaves the scene. I'm, I'm kind of writing the script at the same time. Danny Chung leaves the scene and there's something about he who speaks in mass maxims sounds wise. But the alt, <laughs> the alt joke, which never made it in is, uh, Dan says, I find him very sexually charismatic. Do you, or are you still unable to look at other men in that way? <laughs> just, just to kind of, <laughs> I just love the alt. about them dating. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's really funny. And the other alt is the Senator Doyle on the same page as Senator Doyle 
Alt is, uh, you want a game, son? How about I cut your dick off so you can play fetch? <laughs> <laughs> so, at, so what Doyle's happens great. after they have Doyle's her, great. he has this sort of false humbleness throughout all, like this sort of very like, oh, you know, like, you know, uh, if she's on Meet the Press, then I don't even need to show up at, uh, like, right. I'm, I'm doing the other Sunday show, and if all eyes are going to be on her, he has this sort of but fake humbleness about everything. And as he walks off, Doyle comes up. Amy has a great moment where she gets really excited about a sandwich and says, oh, is that cornbread? I just really like the fact that she's stoked mm-hmm. about the cornbread. But Doyle comes yeah. over, they have this conversation where he's pissed off about, uh, where he's pissed off about the, uh, uh, the clean jobs, uh, the clean jobs task force. Uh, and he mentions withdrawing, which is something that he can do and he's going to withdraw. And Dan, Amy is just hungry and thinking about the cornbread and is like, does that, Dan is like, does that mean that he's going to withdraw from the filibuster reform vote? And there's another great alt about that, which is like, you know, the line as written is like, nobody actually uses withdraw from a conversation like that. They don't use withdraw as a verb in that way. As a verb, yeah. And and there's an art that's like like did Paul did Peter Paul and Mary sing I'm withdrawing on a jet plane? Yes. <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and throw it out. I don't have confirmation, but I think that was a Simon Blackwell line. Like Simon Blackwell, whenever there's a folk music reference, I feel like if we're gonna talk about like April Come She Will, um, like a right. Simon and Garfunkel thing, I think there might be one of those in there. I feel like that's always gonna be Simon Blackwell. I don't know if it's his favorite kind of music. I just think that he always found humor in in sixties and seventies folk. folk lyrics. Yeah, yeah. The contrast between the the horrible way that everybody treats each other and folk lyrics can be pretty uh, <laughs> interesting. So I feel like Randall does such a good job. Another person right away, who the first time you see him, that that false humility is like at a ten. It's it's really really great. You could just tell right away that that's a character that does not uh, believe any of the like bullshit that he's saying. That's like, I'm just one man, you know, and all I did was serve my country. Like, it's so gross the way that he says it. It's, it's, yeah. it's fantastic. I realized that watching, rewatching it. And it's one of those jokes that I always laughed at is when he gets to tell the tank story. Cause every time for the first, whatever, four episodes he appeared, he would always tell people he pulled somebody out of a oh, yeah. tank. Yeah, burning tank, and then you don't you have a line? Doesn't Mike have a line that's like maybe? Yeah, it's if anything, he's bad at his job because he was slow. The guy got burned. Slow. <laughs> he's bad at his job. Also, and then he's your dad. Mike is like doubting whether or not military valor is real. Like yeah. so that's what they're supposed to do. What do you mean, no military yeah. man behind or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> The laziest guy in the world is complaining that the military gets too much credit for how active they are. True. There is Dan. Randall did sort of put an un like, and you can also you can tell he's so good at selling that false humility, that exact thing that you're talking about, like that it makes sense that everybody is so attracted to him politically, like why he's getting so much attention. It makes sense because he is really good at selling the bullshit that a lot of people aren't great at. I thought the show also did a good job just in the writing and conception of it. Even, I mean, right away, I forgot how right away in the first season, she was already looking over her shoulder at people who could replace her or other people in her party who could usurp her. She wasn't just always next in line. And it was, it's interesting that it, it did a good job of like, Oh, well she's, 
you know, she's a woman. It would be so interesting to have a female vice president. But then you're like, oh, a Chinese American war hero, and that just like blows like just a woman president yeah. completely out of the water. <laughs> that so that actually comes up in the next scene. We go into the uh, Mike and Selena are prepping for Meet the Press, uh, and they're going through all the things they have. Like we were playing. I don't think this was written to be the Ravens, and I don't think any of the Brits cared about football. And I do think that we were we were definitely going like the like the road stand up comedian who just does local bits about like he just finds out like yeah. whichever pasta joint is good, and it's like, hey, I just you know like. You tried the ZD over, like all like the worst like local hits. And I think yeah. we were Louis. We were playing to the crew on that one. Well, I think too. That's just another example of like there was always little things that we had to fill in that weren't necessarily in the script. Whether it was like a deeper dive on who played for the Ravens or uh, betting a beer, like that's a very like I, I always feel like in Chicago the mayors bet. You know when when we play the Detroit. Cleveland, yeah. the mayor's always bet a beer or something, and that was that. Seemingly, is something that the writers always wanted a little bit of nuance about. What, what would go well here? And in oh, and that scene begins with uh, Gary uh, wiping noodle juice off his chin, which was a, a, a bit that Arm did this a lot. He sort of set up a joke and then walked away from it a little bit. Like he let you know that it was being paid off. But he never like really sold those payoffs hard. And that was one that I do think if you blink, you miss it. Like that is one that they yeah. didn't go out of their way to highlight. Right after that, right after they talk about the uh them all the meet the press stuff, they're all done prepping. They go out, uh they go out, and that's when she talks to Amy and Dan about like about Chung being over being over the shoulder and that worry that Pete that you were talking about, like the yeah. The, oh no like did you get a sense of this and like everything was a slight every mention of him was a slight like what does that mean she's trying to analyze it but didn't he sign her book right he wrote like uh, selena oh. with an a <laughs> yeah yeah he, wrote selena, he signed selena. it with an a he signed it with an a and also said from an admiring wannabe and she's like what does that mean does that mean he wants to be vice president like every little thing right. she's gonna there's also a great moment that julia has here which i feel like we end up it's gonna be i feel like this is the first like this is the first setup to end what ends up being like one of my favorite jokes in season like four or five which is this banana is broken where she goes over to the coffee machine as if she's going to be the kind of person that will make her own coffee, looks at it for a second, and then just looks at Gary and Je like Gary and just gestures to it. Like, I don't know. This is not what I do. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that was, I think, was, that, that was a moment that was built out in, like, one of our Saturday in the space rehearsals, like, where we would all go in mm. and Dale, the first day, he would buy muffins and a, a coffee traveler and we would go in hungover and tired and try to figure out bits in the space. That coffee one was one that we figured out on Saturday. You know what? Sometimes after a long day on set, after you've had second pizza and chicken parm all day, you want to have something really good from a local restaurant in your neighborhood. Anything you're craving, guess what? It can be delivered. With Postmates, you can get all your favorite foods from your local restaurants in your neighborhood delivered. No leaving the house, and even better, no getting in the car or finding a parking spot. Yeah, and it's not just burritos, sushi, French food. You can get things like toothpaste, phone chargers, 
anything on demand. Uh, that's because places like Walgreens and 7-Eleven are also on Postmates. And my favorite part, when the app lets me know that my food or items have been delivered, everything is right outside of my door. That is so rad. That never gets old. My doorbell rings, and then I have toothpaste. And moments before, I didn't have toothpaste. People are bringing you things like you're a king. Yes. But you have to do one thing. You got to download Postmates on your iOS or Android. Find your Then you got to find your favorite foods. And the one thing you forgot to get from the store, like the toothpaste. But that's not a lot. And for a limited time, Postmates is giving just our listeners a little something. New customers will get 50% off your first five orders of $50 or more when you use the code COMMAND. That's code COMMAND to get 50% off your first five orders of $50 or more. Maximum savings of $100 per order. Just download the Postmates app or sign up online. It's easy. Offer is subject to change and taxes and fees may apply. Offer valid for 30 days after you add the promo code to your account. Tim, how many times have I said this? Good health starts with good habits. You've said that so many times. Well, guess who makes it easy? Quip, by delivering all the oral care essentials you ever need to care for your mouth. The Quip electric toothbrush is loved by over 7 million mouths and has a lightweight and sleek design for adults and kids with no wires or bulky charger to weigh down. We live in a mid-modern world. You're going to go to Palm Springs with a Quip and you're going to fit right in. I love it. And beyond the brush, Quip delivers everything else you might need to build a complete routine. Check it out. Anti-cavity toothpaste in mint or watermelon. Also, two ways to floss. The floss string that expands to clean. But my favorite those reusable floss picks. In addition to brush heads, Quip also delivers fresh floss, toothpaste, mouthwash, and gum refills every three months from $5. Shipping is free so you can save money and skip the hustle and bustle of in-store shopping. So if you go to getquip.com slash veep right now, you'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash veep. Here's how you spell it. G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash Veep. Quip, the good habits company. There were so many rehearsals, just to take a sidebar for a second. Please, please. And it it didn't happen as much later, but I do remember I've never rehearsed so much for a show. And it it was, maybe you guys got tired of it doing, you know, however many episodes, but I always thought it was so fun to be able to not just rehearse the scenes, but it was like, You'd rehearse the scenes, you'd get them up on their feet, and then you'd improvise through them again, basically do them, and then, you know, kind of have a general shape and then put the script down and then just basically get from A to B in the same, in the same sort of path generally, but you could just say whatever you wanted. And some of the lines that were in the script, you just sort of remembered. But there were so many things that either came up like physical bits, like you guys were saying, or specific lines that eventually made it into the show. and. It was so cool that the writers were so, and that Armando was so, um, like excited about that, that they would just like give the cast the chance to add and, and, uh, change things around. And I just, I also just remember watching other people do their scenes was really, really fun. Just being in that big room and then watching, like I remember watching Back at All and, and, uh, Dan Back at All and Julia do a scene, I think in like season four, we were still in Baltimore. And God, it was so, it was a great status scene. And they just, they, they improvised for like seven minutes or something it was like way <laughs> past as long as the scene was going to be, but it was just beautiful to watch. It was really great. It's funny because your, your comfort level, because of your background, you 
loved the rehearsal process, but a lot of actors, actor, actors, cause a lot, we drew from the show drew from New yeah. York in the first four seasons. They were straight up like, give me the lines. I'll knock it out of the park. Yeah. They got really stressed out or insecure about the rehearsal process at times. Interesting. Cause they didn't, they didn't feel as comfortable. Well, they felt the burden. Yeah. And they also felt the burden to be funny. Cause they would, like you said, we would watch people like you or Dan or, or the regulars on the show who would inevitably stumble on something funny and then they would pursue it because their training is they're like, Oh, there's something funny. Let's stay in this moment, you know? Yeah. And so they felt it made them feel a little insecure, but inevitably they were always encouraged to like, just play it real where nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. Some of, most of the stuff will never see the light of day. So yeah. feel, you know, feel free to fail. Uh, you know, that was the general mantra to tell people who came in, yeah. but, but it is hard. It's hard to be like, come, uh, where you're hired to be an actor and now like it's hard to tell somebody like go into this room of people of regulars on a tv show and, and just like if you fuck up it's fine yeah it's, mm -hmm. like, that's not a normal that's not a normal like uh, experience for an actor but i i did find it pretty fun mm -hmm. it's like being in a gym you know it's like going to a to a gym and just shooting around uh you know there was yeah. I, I don't know if you ever remember this but one of the things that would happen is that like in that seven minute thing that julia would do with with back at all they never actually recorded them i think they used to what they when they were doing the thick of it they would actually record it and then have somebody transcribe it so they didn't miss anything oh, and after a while they were just like there was so much stuff that we couldn't even go through it and it all came down to the big good things the things that really worked we will remember we will make our own yeah, little exactly. notes but like the bit the thing yeah. that sticks out that sort of congeals it all together we'll just remember um, which I always thought was interesting in that way of like people, they were just not worried about missing something because they were just like, well, if it's good, we'll remember. Um, yeah. Yeah. They probably went back to the writer's room and like, if, if nobody could remember it, it wasn't that good. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. All right. So the next plot point is at the end of the day, Jonah barges in with a new directive for Selena's meet the press interview. Instead of filibuster reform, she has to talk about immigration reform and pump up okay. China as a trade partner. And this is also like one of the things that gets said to me the most that, that I'm not even my mom's favorite Jonah. I don't know. Like this, <laughs> ah. this is like one of those ones from like mid season, season one that is just like every, like you're not even your mom's favorite. Like I get that Instagram comment on almost every single thing that I put up. Like That's even cool. if it's wow. just like, a, it's like a picture of me and my mom, like forget it, forget it. That's going to come up a lot. So that's how he introduces himself. He says, hey, everybody, it's your favorite Jonah. And Amy responds with, you're not even your mom's favorite Jonah. It's a great line. It's a total throwaway, but it's it's great. So in that uh, so in that moment, yeah, he changes up the talking points. They start to walk away. They actually start out in the hallway uh, to go home for the weekend. Uh, and then she just has, they just all have to turn right back in and take their coats off and figure out how to go through with all the new talking points. And again, this is like another great physical comedy moment that Sue has that I feel like her arm doesn't hit super hard, which is that when she calls, when Selena calls out for Sue, she says, Sue, we're staying. And then you just see Sue like pass in the background. You see her pass through the door frame in the background, taking off her coat and saying, yeah. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> yeah. Was that the one yeah. then the next, well, you'll tell me next, but is it like the next morning then they've been up all night or? No, the next morning we go right to 
the VP. Scott's research. We find out Scott gives research that says Chung was born in China, making right. him ineligible. Right. So Amy, I think Amy delivers that from Scott. Right, but that is a little that's a little bit later. What we first find is the Oh, first, is that where they wake up and we see the boyfriend? Yeah, we see the introduction of Ted, her yeah. sort oh, of yes. DC her DC lawyer boyfriend, who and I love who played by Andy Buckley, who's amazing, but I also kind of love amazing. like that is like I do kind of love that like Andy Buckley as like a DC powerhouse lawyer is the sexiest thing in town. Just like they are so <laughs> dirty, like right off the bat, they they're are so, so dirty. dirty. That is like the they're height so dirty. of just just the height of manliness and sen- and sensuality in that town. And so they like the Amy and Gary overhear all this disgusting shit that they are saying to one another first. And before it's so we gross. Get- it's like hearing your parents talk about having sex and you're like halfway up the stairs and you have to listen to them like finish talking about it. And you're like, and then there is an alt in there where Gary says something like, it seems like you had a great Saturday night. And Selena says, you need did not do that. You can't, whenever you make an attempt at human connection, it really comes out wrong. Just like shuts that down immediately. And this I just is- want to say that, that that scene where Julia and Andy are like sort of making out before she has to get in the limo. I remember like her telling him like, go for it. Like we're really going to like offend people. And he was basically like told to like grope her and rub up against, you know, they really went yeah. for it in the best way. Like, here's where the comedy is. We have to shock Amy and Gary on the stairs. Yeah. So feel mm-hmm. free to like just really go for it. And I was, I was like, I can't believe these two actors don't even know each other day one. And they're just like bang on, you know, rubbing on top of each other. And it was very, uh, it was very believable. I also thought their phone call, which comes later, was very believable, but. And it also just it, it it's a like introducing Selena's sex life in the show. It's it plays such a good role throughout the seasons when she has the when is it what's his name? Oh, Chris Charlie Bear. He comes in as the personal trainer. Yeah, the personal trainer stuff or and John everything Slattery. with Swayze. Yeah, and Slattery. Her, but like her back and forth with her ex husband is so great because they have such a good connection. Like they look yes. at each other. And you're like, God, those people cannot. Uh, they all they're thinking about is having sex with each other. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They want they want the, they want everybody in the room to go away, and they have such they know they're going to hate each other five minutes afterwards. Yeah. They just yes. want to jump each other's bones. It's so funny, and they're yes. so physically mismatched. Yeah. He's so tall, and she's much smaller than him. It's very funny. There is one of my uh, uh, a moment that I really like that comes right before we get the the bad Chung news, which is that she opens the door. She opens the door and finds Mike sleeping, and he immediately. Oh, yeah. There's also a good there's a, there's a good Matt Walsh adjust, adjustment here, which is he immediately wakes up and says, "I was just visualizing how you're going to kill it on Meet the Press," and as, <laughs> and as right. And as scripted, as scripted, it says, I wasn't sleeping. I was just visualizing about how you, but like one thing that I love is that like, we've talked about this a lot, that like Mike is more seasoned than people give him credit for. And he's way better at his job than people give him credit for. And like a rookie would say, I wasn't sleeping. 
I was bad, but yeah, Mike yeah, just yeah. goes right to it. And then she like, and he's wearing the salmon pants. I remember there was always a lot of talk about the salmon pants. The salmon pants got a lot of uh, play. People were excited oh, yeah, about true. finding the salmon pants. Yeah. Uh, and then Julia sits down or Selena sits down and says, I don't know why you're so tired. It's, I don't know why you're so you don't tired. Do you don't do anything. <laughs> Just... <laughs> Like sometimes, sometimes the most simple put downers, the, sometimes the best put downs in the show are the simplest ones. And that is like, I don't know why you're so tired. Don't fucking do anything. Like, you're just yeah, so great. It's really funny. So, the information yeah, that we get that ends up being incorrect is that actually uh, Danny Chung uh, is not a threat because he, he was born in China before his father was a natural born citizen and if we're going to think about the context of what's uh, the context that we were living in so this moment of okay well he's not going to be a threat that's fine obama had been elected and was in office for a couple years so this was a direct play on the birther stuff like this was was actually taken from that it was a version of that and Mm -hmm. also I do think it was also at a time where it was still kind of not, not that I don't know if this is the right word, but like allowed to be funny in that you're like, nobody's actually ever going to buy into this shit. But like Donald Trump had done the thing where he like got Obama to release his birth certificate, but he looked like a fucking clown doing it and like got out of the helicopter and did that, had that moment where he was like, I am so proud of myself for getting this birth certificate oh released. I mean, like, yeah. and at the time it was like, well, this is like a safe thing to joke about because everybody's in on the joke because this is what an idiot would think. And, uh, well, good job, everybody. How did, yeah, how did that go? It's time for... Sue, did the president call? No, but these fans did. Hi, Tim. Hi, Matt. My name is Ayu and I'm from Indonesia. Within the seven season spans of Veep, there are many guest stars and recurring actors, and some of them were promoted to regular cast like Gary Cole and Sam Richardson. Since you both have been the regulars since the beginning, uh, do you guys have any guest stars that you wish could be the regular cast? Thank you. Oh, yeah, did you say she was from Indonesia? I think so. That's so cool. I just think that's awesome that somehow this show managed to, like, being like very specifically about American politics managed to affect somebody uh, from Indonesia. I think that's, I think that's awesome that they found a connection. Yeah. And that she was compelled enough to give us a question that she likes it enough to like give us a question. That is very cool. Yeah. That was us very earnestly thanking you for your question. Thank you for putting it in. We haven't answered it yet. I'm not sure if we're going to, do you think we will? Well, we're stalling for time so we can come up with answers. It's yeah. Like, this is what actors do or politicians do. You, you, you talk about something you can talk about until you have a better answer to the question, which I'll start with. One of the first people that I thought might be sticking around longer that was a great guest star was uh, Selena's trainer, Chris Maloney. Uh, he played Ray and yeah. he was like her, her boyfriend slash F buddy uh massage buddy whatever they were doing when the doors were closed but that's an example of someone like oh my god he should be on the show all the time because he was just so funny and the episode immediately became about him and that's a good sign yeah 
You know, it's funny. I, this is good. This is good. I, this is not me avoiding answering the question, but I just want to bring it up because it came into my mind that like both uh, Gary Cole and Kevin Dunn were guest stars when they came in on the second season. So they got promoted to series regulars. I think they were the, the third season on. They were series regulars. And the same with uh, Sam. He was Sam. A, Sam was a series regular starting at the beginning of the third season. No, I don't think he was made a series regular until season four. Until season four. Okay, so but what's really funny about those guys, and I think it speaks to... It speaks, and the same thing with Clea, and the same thing with Sarah, who ended up, I think, were definitely series regulars by the last two seasons that they weren't before that. And that I now can't remember the show without Kevin Dunn. I can't remember the show without Gary Cole or Sam, even though they didn't show up till the second season. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just... And I think that is a credit to them. that They were just, they, they came on the show and they fit so perfectly that you can't, I, I will talk to them and be like, we well, remember first season when we were doing X, Y, Z. And they were like, we weren't there yet. You know what I mean? It's, it's also like, it's a good question, first of all, but in a way, the meaning of it is arbitrary to me because you think of like Hugh Laurie, like he was a pillar to the yeah. show for so long. Or you think of Roger Furlong, he was a pillar to the show and he always, once he was in the universe, he was used either in dialogue or he was used physically. So in some ways, the people who weren't series regulars, you couldn't imagine the show without them. Yeah. And ultimately there is also probably this idea that like the idea of like a series regular or recurring guest star, like that's, I mean, like this is going to be a sports analogy, but that's almost like how many scholarships you have. Like, wasn't Baker Mayfield a walk-on? at Oklahoma, like he transferred out, but he couldn't technically be a scholarship player. So he had to like be a walk on, but clearly he's like one of the leaders of the team. Like, you know, that might just come down to like, we have the budget for five series regulars. So everybody else has to be, but like, that doesn't, that doesn't diminish their importance in the show. Like, uh, uh, furlongs, uh, like Dan back importance in the show is huge. Even if he never had like in a title of series regular, I feel like it's well, like, and- it's like a technicality that ends up taking weight. And as it relates to this episode, which is about Danny Chung, played by Randall Park, they loved him and they wanted to write so much more stuff for him. But Randall's career just started launching yeah. around the same time that he became, uh, you know, Governor Chung. And so they were constantly trying to get him on and his windows were just getting smaller and smaller. So it's, a, it's also a matter of like, who can you get at some point in their career? Yeah. Hey guys, I wanted to ask you a question about how you view politics in the news these days in terms of how much you feel like you can understand maybe what he or she is going through. Because, you know, your show covers a whole lot of craziness in D.C. And I wonder if these days you see headlines and you're like, oh, I kind of know what he's going through right now. Or is it more like, oh, man, I cannot even fathom what, what this guy is. And is there any like specific headline? that made you feel either way. Thanks so much. I think I'll answer one part of that question and that I do kind of feel like I see, I mean, that's just the world that we live in right now is that I kind of feel like I see politicians. They just like a news cycle becomes about something they said that they clearly didn't mean and was, and I see this on both sides. Like I, I this is this, I will both sides this. 
that both sides pull stuff out of context to get people mad and to get riled up. And I'm not saying that there isn't something underneath it that you should be mad about it, but it usually just seems like a lot, like a lot of times I, I do feel, I guess in a way I feel bad for politicians who have to spend 24 hours in a news cycle getting screamed at for something that just, if you just clicked in and read the article, you realize that the context completely, completely reverses the intent of the, of the headline, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like so many people just read the headline that they're responding, like a politician has to respond to something they didn't actually say. Yeah, that makes sense. And in a simple way, after playing a press secretary, I can particularly relate to press secretaries or clips of press secretaries, say, where they just get frustrated with the media or the people they're dealing with. Like, I totally relate to that frustration. And I, there, every once in a while, this is not a sympathetic feeling that I feel for like a, like a young congressperson. But when I see like a young congressperson say something dumb and all of a sudden they just get like shot up in like that, you know, like, like in the old days where they would have to like send uh, notes from office to office and they'd have to put it in that chute. And, you know, it was like the air chutes, like at the old banks or whatever. You just have like yeah. a congressperson that gets shot up in one of those. And, and all of a sudden they're like a, like a national, they get national media attention for some dumb shit that they said. This isn't a sympathetic thing because usually the, they deserve the scrutiny. But I am just like, oh, well, yeah, that person's an idiot. Like that, yeah, that person's never going to stand up to national scrutiny. They're an idiot. You don't have to be smart to be a congressman. You just don't have to be smart. So of course they said something stupid. So we, we get to meet the press. It's all going great. You can see why Selena's such a seasoned pro. We find out that there's going to be a rookie. Sam Finnegan is going to be subbing in for the normal meet the press guy. Um, uh, and, yeah. and Mike, Mike just says, I think he's a Bears fan. He doesn't even help her. He's like, <laughs> I think he's a Bears fan. <laughs> so they, everybody's excited because she's like whatever I'm going to eat him alive he's a rookie I'm not worried about this so now she's at completely at ease uh, Sam Finnegan was played by Ron Perkins and I just want to shout him out only because he does a great job of coming in and doing exactly what that role requires and he's a he doesn't try to like make a bunch of jokes he doesn't try to come in and be like a funny meet the press host he is just yeah. A meet the press host. Like I, I, it, I, it, he has, you get the vibe from him that he might've actually just been the backup meet the press guy that we somehow got on the show. Yeah, He was good. There are actors that are good at playing reporters are, it's very difficult because you have to pretend to have like a, a level of reality and artifice at the same time. You have to be like believable that you are somebody who is presenting something and isn't like a good actor because like most, most, you know, news people, they're not acting like real people when they're doing their thing. They're acting like someone who is on TV being believable. It's like a very small um, target for an actor to portray. I think as, as like a, as a person, it's, it's maybe even easier to just like be a news person, but to be an actor pretending to be a character who is a news person is not easy. Cause I've, I've, we've like auditioned, I've auditioned people for things and stuff that I've done. And the people who are really good, you're like, that's it. Everyone else is terrible. 
This one person <laughs> is the person who can do it. It's really hard. Do you think it's people tend to do too much, Pete? I think maybe. Yeah, I think it's like people think that they have to take weird pauses and like do things with their head. I mean, maybe it's that's also a little more presentational. But I know what you mm-hmm. mean, Tim. He really seemed like he was interviewing her, and it seemed like, especially because they used the set and the you know you saw it through the the way that you watched Meet the Press on NBC. It looked like Meet the Press, but that, no, that was yeah, actually the Meet the strange. Press set. That was we we yeah, got yeah. the legitimate Meet the Press set. Um, yeah, and uh, that was the same studio where Nixon debated Kennedy. The real it was sweaty. The after- yeah, the sweaty, sweaty wow. Nixon and the and the tanned and the tanned off the beach Kennedy that sort of that I think turned the tide of that election, right? Yeah, it was he had the like the, the five TV o'clock movie. shadow, and he he looked awful. Mm-hmm. So the interview goes really well. She gets in a great line about Ray Rice. Uh, this was pre Ray Rice hitting his wife in an yeah. elevator. This was back when it was fun to make a joke about Ray Rice's name, <laughs> which was Ray Rice. He played nice. He played nice. Uh, <laughs> that was Selena improvising, yeah. basically. Yeah. So he played nice. And as uh, and so the the interviews over, the sound guys come in to take the mic off, and she just kind of mentions who was casually. played by Azar. I just want to say that's played by Azar Khan, who did a great job. And he ended up coming yeah, back. Yeah, he was terrific. He? The sound guy. He came back. He came back for something, and I can't remember he did? what. Yeah, he came back as the same sound guy. And I feel like there was even a moment, like when they see each other, they were like, "How oh, fuck!" Like, "Oh no!" <laughs> like, they were like, "Oh fuck!" We all have to like watch ourselves. Um, so it, the, on a hot mic, she gets caught just kind of casually mentioning, like, "Oh well, you know, he wasn't born here," um, and it's she immediately regrets it. Uh, and tries to say, but is, doesn't she say he's not American? Yes. Oh, he's not American. It's something. It's like really specifically because it's something he mm-hmm. is. It's different than he's not born here. But yeah, he, she says he's not American. So he's not mm-hmm. American. And then she tries yeah. to cover it with all the stuff, like with all of the oh, well, he, he, you know, his dad was not a a citizen, and um, mm-hmm. and uh, so they realize immediately, Amy. Gary and Selena realize immediately that that is a nightmare. And Gary very confidently wants to go over and talk to the sound guy about it. Uh, mano y mano. And uh, Selena has a great line, which is even in Spanish, that doesn't sound like it's going to work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gary goes over and fails to smooth it over. And, and in the car, on the, in, the, in the limousine after the interview, it has already started to blow up. Like it's our people again, again, this like shows you where we were in the world in that they still think they can contain it rather than like that. If like, if that happens now, that audio is just put on Twitter 15 minutes later and everybody knows it. Right? Yeah. There's still a sense yeah. that they might be able to like call in a favor, call and contain it, apologize to him. Uh, and uh, uh, that is when uh, Gary gets his gets a bunch of bunch of her flesh caught in between the seatbelt seatbelt yeah oh, the seatbelt yeah. and the seatbelt buckle, which fucks up the phone call. And they keep trying desperately to call him back. That they keep trying desperately to call Jan Danny Chung to apologize for what it will inevitably hit the press. There's a lot of good scenes in that limo. 
a lot of good like uh uh just good like small acting moments of like uh everybody being like kind of distraught over something most of the time that you're in limo like it's not it's never exciting it's always like a down private moment of like God, yeah. yeah. Um, no, absolutely. Is it this episode? I guess it's the previous episode where, where Doyle is, is all of a sudden is in the, you don't real. it's a reveal where the Doyle was in the limo and, and, uh, yeah. Having, <laughs> Cause she's like, with Catherine and her daughter. Out. Yeah. It's kind of going backwards, but I just want to say the scene with the sound guy, you don't really know what he heard, but it's one of those scenes that's a good scene. Cause he doesn't say too much and Gary doesn't really get much from him. And I love like, I love when the show does that well. Like there's there's many scenes where it's con there's so much subtlety you're not quite sure, but it's enough to know that we're fucked. After they come in from the limo, uh, there's another like I feel like one of the things that's been happening, Pete, is like we're seeing like the beginnings of very long jokes, like very long running relationship based jokes, and one of yeah. the ones that I feel like is established here is. Selena walking down the hallway saying, I can't fucking believe we sent Gary and what a terrible idea that was. And he's behind her going, yep. Mm -hmm. Yes, it was. Yes. <laughs> yes. It was a terrible idea. Like him, her just like openly shitting on him and he and his agreement and that, yes, it was, it was the yeah. wrong idea. I was not suited for that. It was, I did, it was, I did a bad job. And so they get into the Eisenhower office and uh, Dan is there right away. No, like it's already starting to hit papers. It's already starting to get out there. Sue arrives saying that it has to be out there, out there because she is in here, in here to try to help right. with the fallout. She is looking perfect. Lines. Yeah. And also looking yeah. perfect. Like Sue has like the crazy outside life that you never quite know about. Right. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. So no. So everybody's trying to figure out how to contain it. And Jonah comes in. Uh, in Madras shorts because it's a Sunday, it's a weekend, and he works hot. He works hard. He works fast, and he get gets hot legs. This I had did. I had did you, did you guys know if I had said Madras, would you have known what that was until just now? Yes. Okay. Yes. I know it's a thing. I know what it is, but if I hadn't just seen the episode, I wouldn't be able to specifically picture what it meant. Is it a pattern or is it a type of short? It's a pattern, I think, isn't it? It's a it, pattern like Argyle or something. Right? Yes. And, yes. It, and so it's a very specific pattern. And I did find, oh, I think Arvin's going to pull it up. See, this is why oh, he knew he knew he fucked up at the beginning. And now he's trying to earn his oh, way back. Yeah. And, and I appreciate it. So I found out, number one, I found out that Matt. buy me a pair of those while you're on there, Arvin? Do you mind just since you're scrolling through? Just buy me some. Yeah, yeah. The, the show, the show paper. Let's hook Pete up. Yeah, let's hook Pete through. up with some shorts. <laughs> some magic shorts. And the fifth caller, if you're uh, the fifth caller, one eight hundred Veep now, uh, we'll get you a pair of shorts. Just leave your uh, address and uh, credit card number and your size. We'll get out. We'll get some mattress shorts out to you. So I did not ultimately get like any sort of like brand deals with any Madras shorts people, which was upsetting at the time because I thought I really did think that there were like big things in store. We like trying to be like a mad like a Madras uh, trendsetter. Uh, but Joe comes in to let him know that uh, uh, a construction crane has collapsed in Portsmouth, Virginia, and uh, the president is stuck in economic talks. So there needs to be a VPVP, which is a vice presidential visual presence. Uh, Mike admonishes Jonah for making up acronyms and he defends himself by saying that somebody has to. 
which I still, I still do believe. I still do believe that. I feel that was something that I threw in, and I actually do believe that somebody needs to take the somebody needs to take the initiative to make up acronyms. To make up acronyms, they don't just happen. By the way, there's an alt that didn't make it in where she's like, "Do you think Jonah or the White House is going to find out?" And Mike says, "Relax. The only pulse Jonah has a finger on is the vein in his wiener." <laughs> <laughs> so they're not all. They're not all. Brilliant, but that's still pretty. <laughs> it starts out good. You're like, oh, where's this going? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know where it's going. Yeah. That's yeah. So he sends, so Jonah and the White House send the vice president to a local hospital where they have like the triage hospital for all these people that were uh, were hurt or injured in this crane collapse. Uh, Selena says that that's great news. And says that it's all worked out. There's like a great turn of a joke where she's like, well, that worked out pretty well. And it's like two confirmed <laughs> dead and 28 injured. All right. So from there, we go to get into the hospital uh, scene where, where all the patients from that crane collapse uh, have been gathered. Um, and at the like they don't they aren't sure who's injured and who isn't. So Gary tells Selena that she has to converse generally with the people and she's like well, what about the weather and he says yeah well, i mean it has been unseasonably warm uh so he plants that and and this is something and we've talked about this before <laughs> we've talked about this before as scripted as in the script they go from uh it's unseasonably warm straight to meeting that older couple who they're waiting to figure out uh, if their son is going right. to be okay, they go right into that conversation. But this is another example of Armando saying, "Here is here are all of these people, and we are just going to roll on Julia, greeting them." And so everything that you see from that from that moment of uh, of everything that from you the see entrance. from that moment that is all her just going through and introducing herself and trying to be vice presidential to all of the people. And it's like, you know, like, you know, the thing about like, don't turn your head, like, Oh, Oh, you're her. Oh, don't, don't turn your head. I'll just give your hand a little squeeze. And, oh, yeah. and then uh, like, Oh, you don't look so bad. It's like, Oh, I am hurt. It's internal. And she has that face of like, Oh, <laughs> internal. Uh, that's not as good as external from like, a, like it's all in there. But that is just like, it happened so much in that first couple of years where it was just like, just yeah. roll on Julia saying hello to constituents and something amazing will as, happen. Uh, at the end of the third episode, right? Where she was like greeting all those people. Yes. The Gary O'Keener area. Yeah, yeah. I do. Mm -hmm. I remember that because I was in that scene and I just remember like standing off to the side while she was running that from episode three. And it was like, it was just brilliant. And so much of it made it. Yeah. But there must have been so many other scenes that were like full scenes that got cut just so she could sit there and, and greet all these people in the credits roll. It was great. I mean, it was, uh, they did it for the SRBA fundraiser and they did it for this, where I'm sure she at some point said something to every single one of the people in that room and made up something specific that was incredible. Yeah. But I just always have always loved that sort of like, oh, internal. Uh, uh, that that moment that she has, um, and that brings us over to an older couple who uh, waiting for their son uh, to make it out of surgery, 
and they talk, they sort of bemoan like how it's just a day like any other. You're enjoying the sunshine. To which Selena responds that it is unseasonably warm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then it's very quickly saved from that by the the doctor who comes out. Uh, There is a big cheer when it turns out that uh, there's a big cheer when it turns out that the sun is okay. Mike lets all the press in to... um, uh, to get a to get a good a sound bite that the press can nibble on, mm-hmm. and then uh, Matt, you are heavily involved in the next moment. Do you want to take it from there? The TV moment is another one that, like, I think we rehearsed it on set mostly, but it's one of those moments that you have to get right because you say, like, you say you have like two hundred people trying to shoot a TV show, and we all want to get in and out and get it done right. So. There was like the believability of like, where's the clicker? How would we do it? Because ultimately what happens is, is that the news yeah. comes on the TV so right during the press moment where Mike's like, okay, here's your moment, media. And then it elevates to, which feels like one of those moments we talk about, Tim, uh, where, the, where the show is prophetic, where people just start chanting, this is the White House, not the Yellow House. That's sort of like, ugly race baiting audience that's involved in the executive branch that obviously Trump used on day one when he said Mexicans are rapists. Mm -hmm. I just feel like it's not specific to that, but it oddly feels very prophetic. I don't know. There were a few of those in those episodes in this episode that come off of this in that, like you go, we go from there. And because of that, because of that news coming out, Doyle pulls support for the filibuster bill which leaves the staff scrambling to find out how they could possibly get votes for filibuster reform, which lead them to Senator Bill O'Brien, who is like an Arizona, like a hard immigration reform, Arizona Senator. Um, And they all decide that that's going to be the move that they're going to make. And Dan in this moment is very much Dan very much does not give a shit. Like they, like everybody yeah. else, like Mike brings it up. Like you're going to bust out. The, if we start working with that guy, we're going to bust out the pointy hoods. Like that is, that is right. a step. If they are going to take it, that's a big step. And Dan is completely okay with it. He's like, it's a big win. It's a win on immigration and it's a win on filibuster reform. Like both of them just do it. He doesn't care. Um, and in that moment, uh, you also have Governor Chung uh, he is live on TV, and we have a second beat of the moment with the with the remote control um, on the TV. It's 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 about like is Selena racist or something like that, right? Or, or like well, Chung real American? Or Chung, there's Chung real American, and then there is also that like that nobody knows where the clicker is, and Mike is the one that finds it, and then she's like, "No, Mike, give that to Sue. You're going to launch a nuke or something." Like nobody yeah. trusts Mike with a remote once he finds it. Right. Yeah. I was actually looking up because I know you love Friday Night Lights. Brad Leland is the guy who played Senator yes. Ryan. And I remember oh, you were fan you were fanboying out, Tim Simons, that we had that guy on our show. I was. I was, was like a great actor. I was a big fan of Friday Night Lights. I did. I watched, I, I like read those books of essays like regarding Friday Night Lights oh, where yeah. people would talk about their experiences watching it. I would also read those books. So I think it kind of makes sense that I am doing this 
I like doing a recap podcast if I was reading books about a television show to talk to me about other people's feelings about watching that television show. So this, this, this all tracks. Um, but yeah, no, like I didn't ask for a lot of pictures, but I definitely have a picture of Brad Beeland and I from when he was on set. I was very excited about that. And O'Brien plays such a big role later, you know? Yeah, I think it's season five. Yeah. Yeah. So... One thing that happens in this that I noticed going through again, this sort of like points to like Sidney Purcell and you, Pete, being on board for this attitude early is that when Chung, when they mentioned the name of his book earlier in the episode, which I've already forgotten what it was because all these books have ultimately very forgettable, Be the, the Change, fight. never. No, his is the good fight. The good fight. That's right. That's right. right he has, right. he has, he has points on the good fight. Right. On the TV. Everybody makes fun of the name, the good fight. And then here he says, you know, I may like the heart that beats inside my chest is red, white, and blue. And everybody right. like, that's such a great line. If it, I mean, like it's well performed, well delivered, but everybody in the room is so cynical about him delivering that line. So well, like they have no regard for what they've done. For like what harm they've called, call, call, they've for what harm they've caused the world. It was just like, oh, this fucking guy with his perfect ass heart bleeds red, white, and blue. I mean, it was like, it was ridiculous. I just, I the cynicism of that moment, I think, pointed to a lot of the more cynical moments later on in the show. Um, but they off of that. Well, that's what they, I'm saying too about he. He was so good right away with that. Yeah, he he was like, he was so smarmy but realistic and like you could see how some people would believe that type of character yes. and that all of the people that we know are like oh gross yeah um which i'm sure is that's the way that everybody thinks about everything with each other in washington like if someone else is like getting some juice and they're getting like their moment to shine that the other people are like ro rolling their eyes and super jealous you know I mean, this was even if they're allies. This was back when, like you know, like the the common joke was like, "What's the mo the most dangerous place in Washington?" Was between Senator Chuck Schumer and a microphone. And a microphone, yeah. Like that was the joke about Schumer. There was one recently, like in the last couple of weeks, about Ted Cruz, like where he was a like you know like talking about a tragic, um, like a tragic school shooting in Texas, and. He was like, you know, I, I want to send thoughts and prayers to all the people at this school. Um, it's a tragedy that that happened. We are here today to talk about the Biden border crisis. Like he switches right. over so quickly into like the fake politician voice. And that got a lot of coverage recently. Um, but anyway, that that he's a, oh, go ahead. No, I was gonna say Cruz is a good example of somebody who. He's like a he's like a Chung like figure that he behaves in that way where you almost feel like like you want to look around and be like, but everyone knows that this is just patently <laughs> bullshit, right? Like this can't be working. Any, yeah. Yeah. This, yeah. How is any like he's the one person who because he so obviously is performing and he's not good at it. Like he's the one person who I'm like, you guys, come on. Like you got to know that this is. Because if you want what he's selling, there's other more believable, interesting people who are doing what Ted Cruz is doing. Right. You know, mm -hmm. if you want just like a conservative, if you want a Christian, if you want someone who's tough on, you know, immigration or whatever, like you can go to so many other places. But like why uh, the fact that people believe him 
is just it's astounding to me. There is yeah. I have a friend yeah. whose favorite restaurant in LA is a taco place that is on his way to work or is on his way home from work. And you can take a right into the parking lot and a right out of the parking lot. And that's why it's his favorite restaurant. Because he doesn't, because he doesn't, you know what I mean? And that is, feels like Ted Cruz and that they're like, yeah, I mean, it's really good. Cool. It's just two rights. It's just, I don't have to like get into right. like the left turn lane. It's not good enough for that. It's just good enough yeah. for like on my way home. So that, speaking of uh, border state senators, we end up, this was a Frank Rich thing. Initially, this scene was going to take place in just Bill O'Brien's Senate office. And Frank was like a, 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 like a backroom deal like that, that feels dirty. He's like, that's going to take place in a Washington steakhouse, especially with those guys. Like if those guys are in DC, they're not messing around. Like they are, they're going to go to like the most expensive steakhouse and they're going to have their meeting there. So that's why that scene was changed to this like very, you know, like leather, you know, old school leather steakhouse. Um, And right away, uh, right away, Bill O'Brien is just a total piece of shit uh, who says he doesn't know Dan. He's like, I have no idea who you are. So it's, I don't know if it's a pleasure to meet you. And then acts surprised when Amy is a chief of staff. It's like, oh, it's a woman chief of staff. Like he just immediately right. is a piece of shit. That, in this world, if you don't have to be, like if people don't have to return to you and like count on you for anything, you're allowed to just be a piece of shit yeah. as a character. <laughs> and as an actor, you're allowed to embody that. Like, Yeah, he's like a little, he's like yeah. a little of both of those right off the bat. And as he gets more comfortable, he just goes full on. And it's something with yeah. like, that uh, that Brad Leland did a very good job embodying like this just sort of like immediately uber racist. He's like, don't, don't talk to me about some insulting bill. Like, no, if you're like, you come to me with something good. And Dan immediately, again, like another prophetic thing is Dan brings up the border fence. He's like, you're not going to get a border fence. It's a 3000 mile long fence. Mm-hmm. Which ironically would have to be built by illegal immigrants. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But one thing, yeah. one thing that I never really noticed the first time around, or at least I'm sorry, I'm going to rephrase that. One thing that I noticed the first time around is how dark this scene felt. Like I remember watching this and seeing Amy sell herself out, and seeing how surprised. And Dan is someone who earlier has proven that he doesn't give a shit about any of it. He is straight Machiavellian, like anything that gets us and me ahead, that is what I'm into. But he's surprised at how dark Amy goes and like even going further. I mean, so he's like looking at her, like, I can't believe she's going that hard. And I remember thinking at the time, like, wow, like that's a dark road that the show and those characters just went down. And now it seems to be like boilerplate stump speech like policy of the of the of the Republican Party, like that was a very dark thing, and now it seems like something that you just see every single day. Does that make sense? Right. It's not a big yeah. yeah that's the prophetic big. nature of this episode. I agree. It's completely spot on. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because there's also filibuster reform on the table. Well, by like, the way, yeah. Things. By the way, I just want to remind: not Sydney Purcell is what Doyle objects to. By the way. You're the reason that Doyle doesn't right. want to help because you're yeah. so slimy. Doyle has these ethics 
that he does want to clean jobs for, you know, task force and he can't stomach and he's a veteran politician. So it's in this world where people still had ethics, like guys like Doyle, you're so disgusting, Sidney Purcell, that he can't, I'm not going to help her. I will not help on filibuster. Yeah. It's, it seems like our, our people actually, I guess maybe Veep is like the last time that, that some of this like horse trading was even like able to be parodied. I don't even know if there, if it's really going on anymore. I guess if it is, it's happening within parties and, and not across party lines. Yeah. It does seem like that. And it, like, this is also, I mean, like if we just look at the, the entire point of this episode really is that she says something incorrect and racist or that like, that is like, it turns out is based on like a dark, uh, like a dark internet rumor. Yeah. And she spends the rest of the day trying to fix it. And now it wouldn't be even something, it would just be something you say, like, like the idea that a politician would even try to walk something like this back. It is yeah there wouldn't be any fixing of it there wouldn't be any fixing in fact it would only just be celebrated they would see that all those people at the they would see all those people at the hospital cheering for them and be like look at this i got all these people cheering for me i mean like it's just like it's a very short amount of time that we went from that feeling like a very dark scene to one that seems completely normal um yeah so at the end of it and it's and it's it, and it's the context of like the, what do we say? We filmed this in 2011 or yeah. Yeah. Right? The, mm-hmm. the, the sort of, for lack of a better word, fake news propagation wasn't rampant. Like these, the, the way that like lies live longer and they're harder to untangle on the internet. You could just say mm-hmm. bullshit and it just lives on and it convinces people. This is like before that really took hold and was amplified by all the algorithms that drive that stuff bouncing around the world. Right after this thing with Bill O'Brien, where he has agreed to back filibuster reform uh, with the enthusiasm that he pretends to love his own son, who he calls a a shit nit. I don't know what he calls him, but it was a word that I was like, Bill O'Brien had to have brought that to the like, like that must've been like a Leland line, but it was in the script, whatever that word is that he calls his own son. It's actually in the script. Um, And uh, which basically he's saying, I hate my own son is what's underneath it. Uh, That deal gets done. He's going to, he's going to back filibuster reform and they don't need Doyle. So that's all squared away. Uh, They are going to have to do a bunch of America first sort of rah, rah, uh, uh, pro Caucasian caucus stuff and 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 going back to Amy goes back to deliver that news to Selena and she's like I crawled through I crawled through the shit I'm gonna take the dirty glory for this but Selena is already gone because she has gone home to get fucked every which way is what she says as she leaves <laughs> like like this weekend has been completely blown. And she's like, I'm just going home to get fucked in every which I'm going to go home, and get fucked every which way. And I just absolutely love that line. And that's the end of the episode. Yeah. And it, it, it ends also, it ends with like a Dan. I thought this was like, cause I forgot. I was like, Oh, is this the thing where Dan and Amy hook up? Cause he's so like, he's almost like turned on by her dark uh side of her personality they know? had yeah, he is attracted to that her. doesn't that comes later yeah yeah they had been together 
at one point. Right. And then before I, the show starts, yes. before the action of season one. And I think that we are meant to, this is like a first moment where you might see a little bit of a flicker that like this, yeah. like this, like this horrible dark thing that she's done has really brought, brought her up in his estimation. There's a line in the script that O'Brien says, which is like, what do you guys have against the Chinese? I like them. They talk more sense than we do about unions when it comes to unions. (laughs) (laughs) So he's sounding like this evolved guy, and then he ends it with that. It's just amazing. I'll tell you, I wish I could do a Tiananmen Square every now and then. You know, just to clean up a little bit. Yeah, just to clean up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But again, that's like a shocking thing to have said at the time, but it feels like within a couple of years, you had people say, like, I think like a few years later, Mitt Romney did talk about like the work about like, you know, in a positive way about like, you know, you should see all these people in China. They just can't wait to get working at these jobs. And he's talking about like a 40 cent an hour factory job. And he's like, man, you should see everybody. They just want to work so hard over there. Like, I mean, like it really, it was taken from the back rooms and just put right, just front and center it, front and center in the campaigns. It's really great having you on, man. Uh, Again, I I think we'll end up having you, if you will, if you will. And and it would be great to have you in studio at some point as well, if you're ever done filming in Savannah or if you ever come back to Los Angeles, it'd be fun to see you in person. I know we'll end up having you back on at some point just because you are somebody that you carry on. Aren't you at the funeral? Are you at the funeral at the very end? No, I'm not at the funeral. I have a great, I don't want to spoil it for people who are only listening to this without having watched the, <laughs> the end of the se- <laughs> watched a single moment of the series but i have a good i have a good they wrote me like a nice little thing at the end of in in uh, season seven that i get arrested for, oh uh, that's right oh my god like for like embezzlement or something but I, it was really fun because i went downstairs with um morgan second we like took pictures we took like uh i got like mugshot pictures and stuff <clears throat> when i was there <laughs> on the last day <laughs> Yeah, it was really fun. So I mean, so I mean, I know we're gonna have you back on because you are somebody that lived in the show from what? Yes, episode three, from episode three up until the finale. Yeah, so you were you lived in the show for yeah. seven years. So I know we'll have you back on, and especially I. Oh, that's great! I'd love it. You'd be getting and a you lot were constantly of being put on hold and told you're coming back, and then you wouldn't yeah. hear anything for months, and then they would call you and say you're working tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pack all your stuff up and fly it. We well, need you in when Baltimore. I was living in New York, when I was living in New York and it was go to Baltimore, it was really wonderful because I would just like go to the train station and just get, yeah. get on the train. Yeah. And it was very nice. <clears throat> it was super easy. Yeah. And then, you know, going to LA was also like fun as well. But the the Baltimore time was very special. It just felt like it, it felt like, why are we shooting a TV show in Baltimore? <laughs> I guess. They even had all the buildings like looked like federal buildings and and you know all the, the I never was on the set you know I wasn't on like the 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 White House set mm-hmm. that you guys were on but um all the buildings that I was in always looked like yeah this looks like a federal building like just marble all they just needed to find was like different marble staircases yeah for me to be on the mid atlantic yeah yeah well thanks Sydney Purcell aka Pete Gross you're the best we're going to have you, you on guys. again for your later appearances in the seasons if you don't mind um i do i do mind but thank you and is there anything you want to plug as a friend of the show do you want to plug anything oh as a plug um no you don't have to okay so no pressure i have nothing to plug 
Me neither. Just, just, just rewatch Veep. Just listen to more of this podcast. I'm plugging. I'm on the the Veep rewatch podcast. Second Command. That's something I'm doing. Um, Good. I think if okay. people would listen to that, that'd be great. Folks, yeah. uh, that's look, coming out. That's coming out real soon. Yeah, look for that. Look for Pete Gross in this uh, yep. Second in Command. It's called. I believe it's called Second in Command. It's a okay. Veep rewatch podcast. It's really fun. It's two of the guys that were on the show. They sort of go through the episodes and they have people on who are involved in the show. So well, it's really sounds, great. It sounds. It's I don't know. Yeah. It sounds. I mean, it's derivative, but it's. I think it'll be fun. Yeah. You know, it's not like an original format, but it's. You know, no. it'll be really fun. Sounds a little too inside baseball for me. I don't. I don't know. It's not yeah. really my thing. <laughs> Not your thing. I understand. All right. Thanks, Pete. Goodbye. Okay. Log out. Well. See ya. All right, Washi. Uh, we're going to do walk backs or double downs. Um, and I, I'm going to walk back a little bit for harshing on you about the T in Pete Groats because okay. the spelling is misleading. Like, I, I guess I don't look at his name that often, but when you look at the spelling, there is a T in the end of that name. And uh, it just, uh, I was hearing it. I'm like, ugh. But you're right. You're 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 making a good guess at how it could sound. So I'm walking that back a little bit. It's the the T and the Z, right? It's G R O T Z. G R O S T Z. G R O S T Z. Like the T and the Z are doing so much work there. They are begging you for attention. You know what I mean? But you're like, ignoring, yeah. They are there saying like, pronounce me. And so I think that's like when I first saw that name, I was like, that is pronounced says Like I'm really hitting the the T and the Z because I feel like they're they are they are there asking for attention. You know, don't, making the S making the S silent for whatever reason you're saying. I know. I'm I'm I, I fucked this up. I thank you for walking that back. I don't know that I deserve it. I don't deserve like yes. your sympathy. I don't deserve your sympathy or empathy because I am fucking it up, but but thank you. Uh, next week, we're going to be rewatching episode five, Nicknames, uh, which was originally called Dan Dates Jonah. That was the original title of that episode, but it ended up mm-hmm. um, being called Nicknames. Uh, I fought hard behind the scenes to get to not get that changed, um, but they didn't. Uh, it was it caused a rift with HBO. I almost didn't come back for the second season over this, but it was ultimately called Nicknames. Uh, with special guests, our very good friend Reed Scott is going to be rewatching that Woo-hoo. one. Uh, so submit your questions to castmedia.com slash second in command, uh, castmedia.com slash second in command. Ask us questions. We might answer them. Uh, we have a live event coming up. You can come see us virtually live on December 5th at 5 PM. Tickets are on sale now at looplive.com and tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Listen to us wherever you get your podcasts and watch us on YouTube. Follow Rate, review, leave five stars, and you'll be entered into a raffle where a handful of winners will win some deep memorabilia. Thank you for listening and watching. Thanks for listening. Peace. Thanks for watching Second in Command of Veep Rewatch. Yeah, please hit the subscribe button and tune in every Tuesday when the new ones drop. Rewatch the show for exclusive behind-the-scenes stuff, info, insight, and more. Episodes coming, and thanks for watching. Yeah, hit that uh, subscribe button. This is the mouse arrow, right? That's what you're representing. It's the a cursor. Put it. Do a little circle with your finger, and it'll it'll like be bigger, so you can see where it is. Oh, okay. <laughs>